Hey everyone, it's Monday, March 8th, 2021, and this is an episode of the Charge or Die podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisledike, and I'm here to talk to you about, uh, well, electric-y things, uh, plug-in hybrid-y things, regular hybrid-y things, and, uh, well, I guess regular cars, too. Uh, today's episode's gonna be a quick and dirty one, since, uh, I'm walking back from charging my car. It's the first day in months where it is sunny, it's relatively warm, and it's uh, nice enough to have a quick chat with you guys about some stuff that's in the news. So we'll just jump right into a number of things that are on my mind when it comes to car news. Uh, while I haven't had a big chance to review all of the things that have started happening this week, uh, there's a few things that have happened in the past week or so that uh, at the very least are worth mentioning. Number one is the Hyundai Ionic 5. I guess it would strictly just be called the Ionic 5. Uh, we now have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like and how it's going to work. Uh, this is based on an all new electric vehicle architecture from the Hyundai Kia Motor Group. Uh, and it will underpin a number of new vehicles in both of their lineups as well as Genesis. Uh, this new Ionic 5 is taking a very modern Korean fashion forward approach to electric vehicle design that I think is incredibly refreshing. Uh, they've talked about how the Delta Integrale from Lancia uh, was a big design inspiration. If you know what that car looks like, you've got a pretty good idea of where the Ionic 5 is at. Uh, it's very angular. It's not quite retro futuristic, but it's got this late 80s, early 90s bend towards its design that's just very, very interesting. Uh, inside, it's one of the most refreshing EV interior designs I think I've seen this side of a BMW i3. Um, if you've ever been in an i3, it's got this very open, airy, wonderfully light look to it, and a lot of that is because of the way that the interior uh, is glassed out, where there's a lot of glass up high, there's wood, lighter colored materials. Uh, it's just a very comfortable, welcoming place to be. The Ionic is seeming to do a lot of this thing. And interestingly enough, both of the front passenger seats have this ability to recline backwards and actually have a, uh, like, a like an ottoman type leg extension that kind of will come out. So you uh, can really go into full relax mode uh, when you're charging the car at your local quick charger. Now, you're going to have to take my apologies here if I don't remember the specific speed with which the cars are charging, but if I remember correctly, it's well north of 150 kilowatt hours uh, of capability. So these things are going to be able to top off their batteries from about 5 to 80 percent in somewhere around 20-ish minutes. Uh, I believe this makes the Ionic 5, the fastest charging, quote-unquote, affordable car, uh, this side of a Porsche Taycan base trim. Uh, this is, of course, great news because a lot of people get really hung up on how long it takes to charge an EV. You know, you get someone like me with my Volt, where it can take up to five hours to charge from dead on a 240-volt charger because it's only got a 3.3 kilowatt-hour charge capacity. Uh, this Ionic 5 is going to be able to far far exceed that. Uh, the Ionic 5 will have two different battery capacities and it will be interesting to see if there's any difference between the two when it comes to charging. Uh, I believe the smaller one is somewhere in the low to mid 60s and the big one is somewhere in the 
80s. I might be getting that mixed up a little bit. Again, it's been a few weeks since I've taken a look at all the numbers. Uh, but the Ionic 5 is supposed to be on sale sometime later this year, early 2022-ish. Uh, There's a lot of questions, as maybe a good way to put it, about the Ionic 5. One, because Hyundai now has to roll out another set of dealerships. Two, they need to not only have their current EV-friendly dealerships and a lot of the carb states uh, be ready for this car, but also roll out an EV infrastructure across the entire United States because Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, uh, they only sell electric cars in certain states as we speak. Here, where I live in West Michigan, none of the local dealerships will even touch the cars unless it is for basic routine maintenance like tire rotation and brake pads and things like that. Uh, I have to go all the way to Chicago, I believe is the closest dealer that will do any sort of work on the car. Uh, otherwise, I think Virginia is the closest dealership that will actually sell me an electric Hyundai or Kia. So yeah, a lot of big questions about how this is all going to work out in the not too distant future, uh, but definitely one to keep an eye out for. And speaking of keeping an eye out for a new electric vehicle, Stellantis, our friends formerly of Peugeot, Citroën, Opel, uh, and FCA, so Chrysler, Dodge, Ferrari, <laughs> everybody else that's Italian, uh, they are, you know, going through it, as it were, with their brands and other things. I believe we talked a bit about what's going to happen to Chrysler at some point. A lot of questions about whether or not that brand will survive, and it appears as though it will. And in that regard, it sounds like there will be a front-wheel drive electric car coming from PSA, Peugeot, Citroën, and so on, to the United States to be sold potentially as a Chrysler or a Dodge in the next couple of years. This car would share its same basic architecture with the E208 and E2008, as well as the Opel Mocha E, and uh, I think there's like a couple Citroëns and stuff. I mean, they're all on the same platform. They use the same batteries and motors and everything. Uh, these are all very well-regarded, well-reviewed EVs that get somewhere around 200-ish miles of range and retail for somewhere around thirty dollars to $32,000 equivalent or so in Europe. Uh, getting that as a Chrysler, I think, would be a huge boon for the company. Uh, one that, you know, hasn't exactly had a new and or interesting vehicle to launch in better part of a decade? Yeah, I guess. It was what? Uh, the Pacifica was the last new thing that they did before the newest Pacifica. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big mess. And I think having something like that at that kind of price point uh, could bring a lot of people into dealerships, uh, especially as things continue to move forward with uh, automakers, I would say, moving their all EV target dates uh, to be a little bit closer to where we are today in 2021. Um, but yeah, I would definitely be hoping for, you know, whether it's the Peugeot E208 as a Chrysler or the Citroen, what is it, the C4 E4? EC4? Eh, it's a name. Uh, they're all around the same size. They're kind of crossover-y, but kind of small. So they're more around the size and shape of like a, like a Kia Seltos, maybe a little bit smaller than that. And I think that's a good little spot to start because that's the hot, hot segment right now when it comes to new vehicle sales here in the United States. Now, still speaking of new vehicle sales, uh, well, 
there have been some issues with the Mach-E as it's been rolling out. Uh, the initial run of Mach-E's have been partially recalled due to a number of issues with bolts not being fully tightened. Uh, there have also apparently been some issues with batteries in some places, although I feel like that's being... I don't want to say underreported, but I think it's being overhyped by some Tesla people who are very keen on not seeing Ford be super successful with the Mach-E. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, these things are selling like hotcakes at most dealers. Uh, at least one here in Grand Rapids is saying that it's going to be the better part of six months until they could even really give you a test drive in one, uh, just because every one that they get is basically sold for the foreseeable future, uh, which, at least in my opinion, is particularly great news. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it seems to be the way things are going. Uh, you know, the other consequence here is there is the chip shortage going on, the semiconductor shortage, uh, which is affecting everything from PlayStation 5s and Xbox, you know, uh, what are they, X, Series X, Series S, uh, cell phones, I mean, it's everything. Uh, nobody really anticipated the demand for semiconductors and automakers have been particularly hurt by it. And that includes the Mach-E and a number of other vehicles that are coming down the line. Uh, I'm really interested to see how this is going to impact some of the newer vehicle launches, some of the critical vehicle launches, like the new Chevrolet Bolt and Bolt EUV, uh, how this is going to affect stuff uh, like the new Ford Fusion wagon type thing, the Bronco, both Broncos. Uh, there's a whole list of things to kind of go through for the, at least the American automakers. Uh, the European ones seem to be not quite as hampered, I guess, here in the United States. Um, but, you know, time will tell. It sounds like it's really going to be affecting everybody uh, even more uh, strongly in the next couple of months. So hopefully that gets sorted out relatively soon. And then the last little bit of news I want to talk about is, I guess, one thing that's particularly important to me. And that is the new Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, if you, well, have been living in a space where you don't really think about the Outlander, congratulations, you've made it. Uh, you're not burdened by the fact that the Mitsubishi Outlander exists. Uh, instead, here I am to tell you that the new Outlander is very good and it's probably the mid-size crossover that you should be buying in the next couple of years. That is, of course, assuming that, you know, Mitsubishi still exists and, you know, can honor a warranty and yada 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 uh but fear not the new mitsubishi outlander is based on the newish uh nissan rogue that just launched at the end of last year uh this new platform uh underpins it that's a little bit bigger a little bit more refined is a good way to put it than the outgoing model uh it does share the nissan 2.5 liter uh inline four-cylinder engine and it sounds like the CVT transmission is also shared between the two. Uh, but Mitsubishi has gone in and done a significant amount of reworking uh, in what Nissan has been dealing with. Uh, they say that this is going to increase performance and reliability for the vehicle. And interestingly enough, uh, the Outlander is also going to include a few extra niceties. Uh, not only is it going to be cheaper than the Nissan Rogue in most trims, it's going to come with a few more standard features. It's also going to come with Mitsubishi's super all-wheel control, S-A-W-C. Uh, that's their fancy four-wheel drive system that's completely different than what is in Nissan's. The Rogue is not exactly the best all-wheel drive system available in any uh, mid-size crossover today, so Mitsubishi getting out there and fixing that and actually giving this some off-road potential I think is a pretty interesting move. Uh, Mitsubishi is also offering the 
uh, Outlander as a three-row vehicle, um, not just a double row like what Nissan does. And that alone is a big upsell as well. Uh, they will be doing a plug-in hybrid version of the Outlander later on down the line. More details to come, and it sounds like that powertrain, that setup, is going to be shared with the Nissan Rogue plug-in hybrid that's eventually going to be coming uh, sometime soon. Uh, I believe the European remodel of the Outlander PHEV doubled the electric range, so it's somewhere north of 40 miles of total range, uh, whereas the current one is somewhere in the mid to low 20s. Uh, this would be a huge boon, I think, for this and making it a practical vehicle choice for a lot of people, especially people who are looking for, you know, to do some kind of green alternative to whatever's currently in their driveway right now. And of course, this gives Mitsubishi an interesting leg up compared to the Toyota RAV4 Prime. Uh, the RAV4 Prime is only a two-row vehicle. The RAV4 Prime is $50,000 in some instances. Uh, and because they only did 5,000 models for 2021, uh, it's virtually sold out everywhere you go. So uh, Mitsubishi offering something similar, a little bit bigger for less money, even with a little bit less range, uh, strikes me as a pretty square deal, all things considered. Uh, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up the news. Uh, hopefully there isn't anything glaring or crazy or insane that I missed out in not reading the news yet today. Uh, but I figured these are things that uh, were worth mentioning at the very least. Oh, I just thought of one last little thing. As I was talking about the uh, Peugeot Citroën uh, DS platform getting rolled out potentially to a Chrysler and to a uh, Dodge. God, that, wow, two brands you don't really think of too much. Uh, there were, there was talk that the same platform would be used as a Jeep. Now, the interesting thing here is that these, this modular platform that's being used by Peugeot and Citroën right now, uh, it is not currently designed to take a four-wheel drive system, as in you cannot mount a rear uh, electric motor on this platform and use them in concert like you can in so many other electric vehicles out there these days. Uh, this would put this new Jeep that's being talked about in the same territory neighborhood as the Chevrolet Bolt EUV, which is crossover sized in air quotes, um, but does not offer all wheel drive, which uh, is kind of a weird spot to be in overall. I can't really say for sure if it's necessarily going to impact sales uh, because, you know, historically speaking, Jeep has sold front wheel drive Jeeps and they have sold them in pretty reasonable numbers. Now they were offered as all wheel drive models, but you know, I feel like I see a ton of front wheel drive compasses uh, Patriots, you know, uh, <laughs> Renegades, so on and so forth. That it just doesn't particularly strike me as a drawback because I think a lot of people, when they go looking for these kinds of models, they're looking for the Jeep looks, not necessarily the performance. And I think in a lot of these things, it comes down to the way that you tune the stability and traction control systems that, you know, help you get through the snow and other things. Now, that being said, FCA, given a new platform with a new set of motors uh, and some different capabilities or capacities to do their own thing with Jeep, uh, because let's be honest, Jeep is able to print money almost as if they were God. They've got money trees in every part of Auburn Hills at this point. And uh, I think if Jeep wants to throw, 
you know, a couple hundred million dollars at this uh, situation, I think they can come up with a pretty good alternative with an all-wheel drive EV in the not-too-distant future. So we will see what happens there. But yeah, anyway, I think that's all the news that's rattling around inside my noggin. Uh, other things that are happening. Um, who knows? Maybe someday there will be things happening. Uh, we, we've had some weird stuff going on. I started a new job, so that is part of the reason why there's been a bit of a gap uh, in producing episodes of this show. Uh, I've transitioned out of the retail space finally for the first time in close to five years, Um, even though that was only a short time outside of the retail work. uh, Wow, feels good to have a weekend (laughs) once in a while, Uh, and it feels good to know when my hours are going to be throughout the rest of the week. So uh, in the meantime, you know, we'll try to get back around to doing these shows on the regular, but that, uh, those first couple of weeks of training really, uh, burnt out the word space in my skull, as you can tell. Um, in other news, uh, hey, Chevy Volts, their thing, uh, and as I'm starting a new job, the new job actually has a 240 volt level two charger out front. And, uh, one interesting thing that I deal, that I'm dealing with right now, Uh, is that the charger appears to either not like my car, or my car does not like the charger, or the charger's completely burnt out. Um, It sounds as though my employer is looking to outright replace the charger uh, in the near term, which, you know, is maybe a bit of a benefit to me, but uh, that still means that I have to use the old 110 at my previous employer's uh, building every once in a while to top the car off. And, uh, As the weather gets nicer, it's a little bit better, uh, but more, more or less, woo, would it be nice to have the uh, 240 at work where I could charge it up during half of my shift, move it, and let somebody else use it. Um, that would be just absolutely wonderful. So fingers crossed we get this charger situation figured out sooner than later because uh, I'm looking forward to not using gasoline this spring and summer if I don't have to. So... Anyway, guys, we're going to wrap it up. I've done two laps of the small block near my home uh, just to kind of talk to y'all. So in the meantime, if some interesting news or other things pops up later this week, you know how it is. I'll post another episode. Uh, If you want to follow along with me and the rest of Weird Car Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. That's pronounced Iceman. And uh, you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash charge or die. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a fantastic start to your week, and we will see you on the next episode of the Charge or Die podcast. See you then.